This morning we'll take our text from 1 Peter chapter 5, and we'll look at two verses, verses 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. I don't think it would shock anybody to hear that we have an enemy. That's pretty obvious. You know, the Word of God identifies that enemy for us. It says, your adversary, the devil. Sometimes it's easy to think of Satan as an adversary to God's children, and he certainly is. But you know, Satan is also a sinner's adversary. The devil has no interest in just capturing a soul. He wants to destroy a soul. Whether you're a sinner or a saint, his ultimate goal is to devour. It also gives us a little description there. It talks about him as a roaring lion. You know, I you've probably all seen footage of a lion when it's stalking its prey. And they are very stealthy and quiet, and they will lurk in those bushes. And typically they prey on uh, an animal that's maybe been separated from the herd or maybe one that's been wounded or is weak or or vulnerable. And and that's the one that they'll go after, Uh, much like Satan. He looks for those who are in a weakened condition, maybe separated from the rest of the herd. But 2 Corinthians 2.11 also tells us this, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So we know the enemy wants to get an advantage of us, but you know we have a great advantage against the devil. It says we're not ignorant of his devices. That's the beautiful thing about the Word of God is the Lord lets us know what the enemy's tactics are. You know, when you know ahead of time what your enemy is going to do, you're at a great advantage. You can prepare for those attacks and counter it. Satan doesn't have that advantage. I don't believe the devil has foreknowledge. He doesn't know how the Lord is going to work or how the Lord is going to deliver his people, yet we know what his tactics are, and we can look out for those things and prepare for those uh, with the Lord's help. Uh, This morning, we'll consider what some of his tactics are. You know, Satan loves to use fear and intimidation. He would like us to feel like as Christians, we're surrounded and outnumbered. We're in the minority. You know, this may be particularly uh, something we're vulnerable to after camp meeting. Camp meeting is a wonderful time. We come and... For two weeks, we can gather on the campgrounds and we can be with God's people. And you know, at camp meeting for two weeks, if you're a Christian, you step on those grounds, you're in the majority. Maybe the only time when as Christians, you're in the majority. But it's easy. We're surrounded by the saints of God. We're encouraged. We're strengthened. But you know, camp meeting comes to an end. We have to go to our places of our prospective places of employment and our homes. Many times we go back to the workplace or to school. And we're, maybe we feel alone or vulnerable. 
I remember up until this year, coming from California every year to attend camp meeting, and for a week, we would take a week off, and we would be able to come and just gather with the people of God. And But I remember always on the trip home, kind of dreading it. Actually, this is the first year I've got to stay, and they let me stay. It's a wonderful thing. But, you know, I, I remember that feeling kind of of, of not discouragement, but, well, maybe yes, a little bit of discouragement because now it's back to the old routine and maybe we're not surrounded by those godly influences. But you know, the Lord's not impressed with big numbers. God doesn't need great armies to win a victory. You know, God doesn't need us at all, actually. He chooses to use us. And if we're willing and obedient, He'll bless us. But God can use just a few. God doesn't need a large number or a large army. I thought about that Scripture reading that Brother John read there. The story of of Jonathan and his armor bearer. I love that account. You know, you consider the condition that the Israelites were in because of the disobedience of Saul and because of the disobedience of the people. They found themselves surrounded by the enemy, the Philistines, and really they were paralyzed. They had no way of advancing or moving forward. They were right where the enemy wanted them. And you read a little bit more about the condition they found themselves in in chapter 13, verse 22. It says, So it came to pass in the day of the battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan, but with Saul and with Jonathan, his son, was there found. They didn't even have any swords and spears. It says there in the previous verses, they took some old farming tools and they would try to sharpen them up and they tried to come up with some kind of makeshift weapons, but they were outnumbered. They were uh, had inferior weaponry and they were surrounded. Really, it looked pretty hopeless. They were feeling intimidated. It says they were cowering and shaking in fear. Saul, the leader, uh, he was being fearful. But I love the attitude of Jonathan. You know, somehow, uh, Jonathan realized this wasn't what God had in mind for his people. So he asked for a sign, of course, and he, he said, if told his armor bearer, we'll show ourselves to the Philistines, and if they bid us to come up, we'll go up and we'll know that the Lord has delivered them into our hands. So uh, they did that. They showed themselves or made themselves known unto the Philistines, and they called out. And listen to how the Philistines responded. They said, yeah, come on up, we'll show you a thing. Sounds a lot like boasting, doesn't it? An intimidation. You know, the devil's a bully. Come on up. Well, they knew that was a sign from the Lord, so they did. It says they crawled up on their hands and their feet. Took some effort to get to the top of that hill. But as they did, God began to work for them. And we know uh, the result was a great victory. But I love their attitude. But I think the key to all of that we find in verse 6. Jonathan said, It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to say by many or by few. There's no restraint to the Lord. There's no limitations on what God can do if just a few people will unite their hearts together and seek the Lord. You know, we're not alone. The Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You think about Gideon, a band of 300 men defeating the host of the Midianites. 
One commentary said that the odds of them winning that victory from a military perspective was about 450 to 1. But you know, when God is on your side, you're guaranteed victory 100% of the time. You're thankful. Uh, You know, when you're feeling maybe alone or intimidated, remember, God is with you. God will fight for you. You know, God gives us some wonderful promises in His Word if you've been saved and called and chosen, even if you're the only one in your family. Maybe you're the only one in that workplace or in college or at that place of employment or school. Listen to what some of the promises are that God gives us. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 9 and 10. Thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called thee from the chief men thereof and said unto thee, Thou art my servant. I have chosen thee and not cast thee away. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy guide, and I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Fear not, don't be dismayed. God is with you, God will strengthen you. Psalm chapter 3, verse 4 through 6 says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Verse 8 says, Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Are you thankful for that? You're never alone. God will help you. God will strengthen and encourage you. You know, another tactic of the enemy is discouragement. And you know, he tries that on the Christians as well as the sinners. I thought about the backslider, uh, the one who has left the Lord and walked away from God and maybe as the Spirit of the Lord begins to convict them. Maybe you're in that place this morning. What's the first thing the enemy is going to tell you? You've gone too far. You've turned your back too many times. Uh, the Lord can never take you back. That is a lie from the devil. You think about the prodigal son, the story Jesus told there. It says that man, he took a journey into a far country. It says he was a great ways off. And he even joined himself to a citizen of that country. Did everything he could to get away from his father and his home. But we know it says as he came to himself, the man was willing to repent. And he was willing to humble himself. And he realized, I've sinned before heaven and my Father. And as he made his way back with that heart of repentance and humility, says the Father, when he was a great way off, saw him and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. That's the way the Lord feels about the backslider. There are those that are bound by habits and addictions. I've talked to people. They can't see any way of ever breaking free of those chains. But you know, one honest prayer... From the depth of your heart, one prayer of repentance and surrender, God can break those chains. God can set a person free. Don't let the devil tell you you're beyond hope. You know the enemy tries discouragement on those who are saved. What did the devil tell you the first day you were saved? Maybe after the first few moments you were saved. He probably told you the same thing he told me. You're not saved. That wasn't real. That didn't happen. That was just an emotion. You know, we have to consider 
Why would the devil try to convince us of something that wasn't real if it wasn't real? You know, he has no problem with a false profession of faith. He has no problem with that. He loves sinning Christians because there's no such thing. But you know, when the Lord gives you the real thing, when the Lord comes in and changes you and sets you free, when you're truly born again, the devil's going to be right there to tell you that's not real. Really, I guess our battle begins before we're saved, but we recognize it after we're saved because the devil is there to try to engage us and discourage us. I still think of a testimony I heard about Brother Alan Crabtree. He said after he had prayed through to salvation, he was praying by that old tree stump, and he felt the Lord come in and lift off that old burden of sin, and he knew he was saved. And he got up, and as he was walking out on that trail there, the devil was right there, and he said, you didn't get saved? Brother Allen said, oh, yes, I did. So he said he didn't get a few steps down the road, and Satan said, well, you're never going to keep it. Brother Allen said, aha, so you admit, I got it. He got it. You know, when you're saved, you'll know it, and you hang on to that. Don't let the devil cheat you out of that victory. We know Satan is an accuser of the brethren. He'll come along. He'll tell you things about your brother and sister that aren't true, and you know what? He'll accuse you to yourself, of yourself. He'll try to tell you. Uh, you've somehow failed the Lord. You haven't pleased the Lord. He's an accuser of the brethren, but we know it's a lie from the enemy. We can stand on what God has done for us. Sometimes we may get discouraged when our prayers aren't answered right away. You ever have the enemy come and tell you, why do you keep praying about that? Why do you keep seeking the Lord for that? It's been days or weeks or months, even years. The Lord's not hearing you. That's a lie from the devil. Many, as you're seeking your deeper experiences, maybe you went through camp meeting and you didn't receive what the Lord had for you. You know what? Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Keep asking. Uh, the Lord wants us to persevere. Don't be discouraged. You know, the Lord told us a story in the book of Luke. It tells a parable. Chapter 18. This is the story about the widow and the unjust judge. He said, There was in the city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith, because this woman keeps bugging me. She keeps bothering me. I'm going to avenge her. I'm going to take care of her need because of her importunity and her persistence. But the Lord goes on to say, And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. And you know what? The Lord told us why he told this parable. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that man ought always to pray and not to faint. There's the lesson. Jesus says, keep praying, keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking. You know what? When you keep asking the Lord for something, that is not a lack of faith. That is a show of faith. 
We're showing the Lord that we're depending on the Lord for help. We're seeking. We know that he'll answer. God will answer your prayer if you continue to seek and knock. I think the application here to us, you know, unless God tells you no, or unless you know you're asking for something outside of the will of the Lord, then we need to keep praying, keep seeking, keep knocking. It says this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything, anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. And if he hears us, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking. Don't let the devil discourage you. You just keep up, keep it up. The Lord will bless you. Psalm 24, 14 says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You know, there's one thing we want to make sure of. Discouragement is not to be confused with conviction. You know, if God's Spirit is dealing with you about a spiritual problem, that shouldn't be ignored or suppressed. You need to take care of that. But if you know you've been doing everything you can to please the Lord and you're walking in faith and obedience, then when that discouragement comes, know know where it's coming from. It's not coming from the Lord. And God has promised you victory if you'll persevere. You know, we like promises in God's Word. I'll read you a promise that says, In this world you shall have tribulation. I don't hear any amens. That's a promise. You know, I don't think you you pull out a promise verse out of your daily bread. That's probably the one you're going to be looking for. But it's true. But there's a second part of that. It says, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. God can help you. God can give you the victory if you're willing to persevere and keep on keeping on. God will help you. One of the oldest tactics and probably one of the most effective is temptation. That word tempt means to entice, to do wrong by promise of pleasure or gain. Of course, we know anyone who yields to temptation, they find that pleasure becomes becomes heartache and misery, that gain becomes loss. But you know this is the oldest trick in the book. Every sin is preceded by temptation. Even in that garden there, uh, Satan tempted Adam and Eve, and he weaved just a little doubt in their mind. He said, half God said, and he promised them, you know, in the day you eat of that tree, your eyes will be open, you'll be like God. And you'll know the difference between good and evil. You know what, that was partly true. They did know the difference between good and evil, but you know what, they became like the devil. They didn't become like God. And that was a devastating choice, but it was disobedience. But temptation is not disobedient. Or temptation is not sin. They weren't sinning as they were being tempted, but it's when you yield to that temptation, when you give in, then it becomes sin. And it's important to know that because there are those that will tell you, ah, if you've tempted, you've sinned. The devil will tell you that. That's not true. We're going to be tempted. We're going to be tried. But God can give us the victory. You don't have to yield to sin or temptation. Bible says to resist the devil. He will flee from you. You know, what do you do with those thoughts? You're serving the Lord, and along comes a thought in your mind. The devil tells you, you're not a Christian, you wouldn't think that. Well, God's Word instructs us on what we can do. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, 
says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We can cast down those imaginations. You've probably heard that old saying, you can't keep the birds from flying around your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. That's true. You can't keep those temptations away, but you don't have to dwell on them. You don't have to think about them or let them take root or meditate on them. It says we can cast them down. We can bring those thoughts into obedience. Of course, you know, the carnal mind and the carnal heart, that's impossible to do. The Bible says that the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the laws of God. Neither indeed can be. But you know, when you're saved, your heart is changed. Your mind is changed. We're given the heart of the nature of Christ and the mind of Christ. If you're a Christian and those temptations come, know that by God's help, you can put those thoughts down. Resist those thoughts. Philippians 4.8 gives us a whole list of things to think about. Whatsoever things are true or honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, if there's any virtue or any praise, think on these things. Those are just some ways to resist temptation. But you know, I think the greatest example of resisting temptation we can see in Christ himself. Jesus Christ himself was tempted. Proof that temptation is not sin. Jesus could not sin. He was without sin. Even those that would tell you you can't live without sin to say that Christ sin would be blasphemous. They know that. So Jesus allowed himself to be tempted or he's led away in the spirit of the spirit to be tempted. But you know what Jesus did? Every time he was tempted, he used the word of God against the devil. We read verse uh, in Matthew. It says, as Christ was fasting there, and he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Since then, Satan came. You notice something about devil. the devil. This is one of his tactics. He'll get you when you're in a weakened condition. Physically, Christ had gone 40 days without food. He was vulnerable. And that's when the devil is most likely to attack. And he, he tempted the Lord. He said, if you're, if you're the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. But I love the Lord's response. He says, it is written... It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Again, just a few verses later, verse 7, Satan comes along again. He says, cast yourself off the pinnacle of the temple, and his angels will bear you up. What did Jesus do? He says, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Very next verse. Satan comes again and he says, bow down and worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms. What did Jesus do? He said, it is written. It is written. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. And then I like the next verse. It says, and then the devil left him and the angels came and ministered to him. We can see some things here about the devil's tactics. He's not going to quit after the first time. He may come back. He may come back again. But if you resist the devil, the devil will flee. The Lord will help you. The Lord will strengthen you. And you know, if the devil had the goal to tempt Jesus, the Son of God, the Word made flesh, you can be 
Assured, he's going to tempt you, but we can use the word of God. That is our greatest tool. It says that the word of the God, word of God is the sword of the spirit. This is our weapon. We have a weapon at our fingertips. It's the word of God, and we can use that, follow Christ's example of resisting the devil. We know as we do that, the devil will flee from us. I'd like to close with just a couple of verses. These are some instructions in God's Word in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. It says, Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 13 it says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. These aren't suggestions. These are commandments from the commander, from our captain. He says, put on the whole armor of God, not part of it, the whole armor of God. He says to put it on and take it unto you. You know, there's only one way to do that. No one was ever saved without praying. You have to pray. It takes a prayer of repentance to be saved. No one else was ever sanctified without praying a prayer of consecration to the Lord. No one was ever uh, filled with the Holy Spirit without praying that blessing down. That prayer is born out of a heart of a desire to be empowered for God's service. It comes through prayer. This is part of our armor. This is what helps us to stand against the enemy. And he tells us why we need the armor, so that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the tricks or the tactics of the enemy. So the armor helps us to withstand, and you know what? It helps us to continue to stand. It says, after you've done all these things, then stand. You know, we want to be standing until the day the Lord returns. One day this battle will be over. It could be very soon, but we want to be standing on the side of truth. We want to have on that whole armor of God. And you know what? That armor has been issued to us by God himself, bought and paid for by Jesus Christ, by his own precious blood, and it's available for everyone here today. We have to put it on, but I want to encourage you as we stand and sing, come and avail yourself of this opportunity. If you're not saved, you need to be saved. You know, if you're not saved, you're fighting a losing battle. And the end result of that life will be a life of destruction. It says that those that refuse uh, to be saved will one day be cast into that lake of fire. But that's not where the Lord wants us. He wants us on that winning side. God can save you. He can sanctify you, fill you with His Holy Spirit. These things are received through faith, obedience, determination. God can help you. God will help you this morning. Let's sing 480. These altars are open.